Welcome back to Wizard Horror. I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitz. And I'm Steve. If you've joined us before, normally what we'll do is we'll take a movie that is not considered universally to be horror, and we'll discuss its merits and intents and uh, how people perceive it, and whether or not we think it qualifies to try and answer that question. We're doing something a little bit different on this episode, because this will be the first time we're discussing a video game, and we'll see how that differs. But thanks for joining us, and that should hopefully make for a pretty interesting episode. Uh, Before we get into that, I'll just make a small announcement, which I guess I haven't necessarily discussed with all the rest of you, so this is just a thing that I'm announcing to you guys as well. Um, I will be doing guest appearance on another podcast called Simple Sarah's Horror Menagerie, talking about Return of the Living Dead. That should be out either the week before this releases or the same week that it releases, uh, unless it falls through, so we'll see about that. Hopefully that'll be fun. And then uh, we'll go into Joe's Get to Know You Corner. All right, so today I was wondering, apart from this game, since we haven't we haven't really discussed this game yet, but uh, apart from this, what is the most horror-related video game you have played? This is an unfair question. How dare you spring this on me? Ah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Rude. <laughs> Okay, first thing that comes to mind is Silent Hill. I played Silent Hill 2 and Silent Hill 3 religiously for probably most of the early 2000s. Never managed to beat the game. I will still just play it because it creeps me the hell out. Um, And I guess Steve and I would always go to, like, the movies, of course. And there was guaranteed always, wherever we were, there was, like, an arcade game of House of the Dead, either one or two. So I think those are probably my top two. Yep. <laughs> Those are good <Nice>. times. <laughs> For me, I'm there's been a lot of there's a lot of good games out there that I think are horror related, but I one of the biggest ones for me or at least in the last, I don't know, several years has been Alien Isolation. That I mean, it has maybe a little bit of an action bent to it, but it's it's one of the like most intense like high anxiety games I think I've played like I would be happy to call it amongst my favorite games, but I've only been able to bring myself to play it. I think I've only gone all the way through it once, but it's just such a high anxiety game that I can't, I don't really come back to it much because of all that, but it's a great game. So for me, I've played all those. I played Alien Isolation. I haven't played the Silent Hill games, actually. Sorry. So I've played Alien Isolation. I've played a lot of horror games. I would say one of the games that struck me the most horror-wise was probably the first 20 minutes or so of playing Outlast. Um, I really liked the game, but once you kind of understood the mechanics of the game, it got really formulaic and it wasn't really scary anymore. But I was definitely really tense through like the first 20, 30 minutes of Outlast. Uh, And then... For kind of like my more favorite horror game that I kind of liked overall through and through would be like Resident Evil 7, which I know is probably debatable in the Resident Evil community because a lot of people hate Resident Evil 7, but I think that it's a really, really great game and definitely one of the most horror-centered ones in the series, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think that's one of the more horror-bent ones. 
Well, obviously, the first game that comes to mind is Dead by Daylight, because that's how Matt and I actually met through Dead by Daylight. But I'm not sure if I would consider that horror personally, even though it's classified as horror. That's really romantic, though. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I haven't played a lot of, like, story horror games. Uh, not as many as I wish I'd play. So I, I guess I have to say the scariest game that I've played, um, because I made a point of playing it in the dark, is Phasmophobia. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It is spooky. And if you haven't played it, you should. It's an experience. I think, uh, let's see. I'm not sure exactly what the first horror game I played was. I know that's not what you're asking, but I think because sometimes I think about what got me into zombies in the first place, because I think that's really what got me into horror in the first place is zombies. But I think that I probably played House of the Dead and Resident Evil 2 before I really got into zombies, because I remember liking zombies before being introduced to dawn of the dead which was really the kind of like big flashpoint for me as far as horror movies go so i've played a lot of resident evil over the years all all through the different iterations of it and uh also really like dead space a lot as well which pretty exciting time to be a dead space fan since uh at least as of this recording they just recently announced that the remake's going to release in january of 2023 so that's pretty exciting Woo! the remake looks so good i would highly recommend watching some of the dev streams if anybody's interested yeah it's it's looking really good i i hope that they're taking it pretty serious it's i really liked one i really liked two and i didn't like three at first but it actually grew on me and i kind of like that one quite a bit too but i'm sort of weird as far as that where i think that i'm not as uh, militant about what the game series have to be so for instance with resident evil my favorite games in the series are two five and seven which i think they're pretty much all belong to different camps and you're supposed to hate the other people not enjoy all three of them but that's where i'm at with it so i think probably resident evil is probably the series i've spent the most time with just because there's more of those games but i probably find myself replaying dead space one two and three every few years at this point but if you didn't already know from clicking on this we're going to be talking about what remains of edith finch and uh that's kind of what got us into talking about horror games sorry i don't know if i just i cut over the end of your corner joe do you have any closing thoughts on the corner before we move on you cut his corner yeah, no cutting corners. Ah. Come on, I love dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I had any other real thoughts. I, I there's a lot of really good horror games out there, and you guys all picked really good ones. So yeah, that's great. Cool, cool. <laughs> I'll also say too, I really like the Friday the Thirteenth game. Now that I think about it, and I'm still disappointed and kind of heartbroken that that game didn't work out and end up imploding. But it was really fun while it lasted. I haven't played that, but it looks fun. Another note on horror video games, the Evil Dead game is now out, and I've I started playing just a little bit of that, and that's been a good time so far. Oh man, I wish I had more to say about that, but I have really not had much of a chance to play it yet, <laughs> even though I went and got myself like the Ultimate Edition, and I you know, got my game package in the mail and everything, so... <laughs> I haven't had much time with it so far. Just uh, I just played a little bit, but it's it's 
seems fun so far. Yeah, I it seems like it's maybe kind of got like a Left for Dead meets Dead by Daylight vibe going on with it. Hopefully that's good and Yeah, yeah, I have high hopes for it. Cool, cool. So, the game that we're talking about today is going to be What Remains of Edith Finch. The team that developed it is Giant Sparrow, and uh, their creative director slash writer and slash director of this particular title is Ian Dallas. Giant Sparrow is an independent video game company. They've Their other big release at this point was the Unfinished Swan, uh, which I haven't played that one. Have any of you played that? My husband has played it, and I have watched him play it, and it is worth playing. Okay, yeah, it looked kind of, uh, I, I put for myself, at least for as far as notes, it was like a surreal mystery puzzle game, and it looked like you kind of have to throw balloons and paints around to reveal the environment. Is that how that works? Yeah, it's, you're really going to love it if you're into Jackson Pollock. Okay, cool. So it looked like it was maybe a little bit of a different genre this than this, but still experimental in the same way that this is experimental. But uh, as far as a brief description, and feel free to jump in and you know, tell me if I've missed anything on the description for this game, Edith Finch is a 17-year-old girl and the last remaining member of the Finch family. She has inherited the Finch family home on Orcas Island off the coast of Washington State, and the house has an off-kilter, quirky construction that's developed over years as the house has been added to. As family members pass away, their rooms have been sealed off, and to the casual observer, they can only be seen through peepholes on the door. However, the home is full of secret passageways that will allow access to each deceased family member's room, as well as their stories. Edith alludes to a family member or family curse that seems to result in the tragic demise of each family member. As you explore the house, you learn each member's story in varying degrees of detail, as well as usually how the family member passed away. This is revealed by some sort of account of each family member that they or another family member left behind. Eventually, you find out the story of Edith Finch. Spoilers, so here's spoilers. Eventually, you find out the story of Edith Finch visiting the home is one more story in the family tree being passed down to her child. And whatever secrets the house holds, whatever the origins and details of the family curse are never fully revealed. And ultimately, the story is one of dealing with grief of losing a loved one and allowing them to live on in the stories we pass down. Where did everyone come out on this one? Did you feel like this was horror or not horror? I'm still a little bit undecided. Um, when I first I first watched a playthrough, because um, I'm lazy, and I decided at that point that it was not horror. And then I was like, okay, I should at least try to play this. So I did try to play it poorly, still enjoyed it. And I kind of came down on the side of, I feel like this this could qualify as horror. So I'm kind of waiting for everybody else to weigh in so I can make up my mind for this. I uh, I loved the game. And I think it's definitely got a lot of dark tones to it. Dark fantasy, dark lots of things. But I don't think it's horror. I don't think it was ever really, not that it has to, but it wasn't ever really trying to scare anybody. It's just kind of trying to tell a a dark story or I don't know if dark is even the right word, a sad story, a tragic story. Uh, but in the end, I didn't feel like it was horror. I think there are some like homages to horror, to horror, but, uh, yeah, not horror in my opinion. 
Um, for me, I think it has some horror elements, but I don't think that it is horror overall. If you wanted to break it down by maybe the stories of of each of the people within the family, I think that there are stories of people that are maybe entirely horror. And I can go into that later. <laughs> uh, this was a beautiful game. Very, very sentimental. But I don't think it was horror. I think that's ultimately where I landed on similar to everybody else is I think that there's there's elements of horror that get referenced that there's some feel to it but uh, I think the way in which the subject matter is addressed is what kept it from feeling like horror to me so I, I also said not horror but I was maybe a little bit on the fence about it but ultimately I think I weighed in at not horror but we'll see if it changed my mind as we talk as often we do, I have at least a quote here from the designer. It was from an interview with Ian Dallas about the game. And the interviewer had said, uh, so where did the idea come from? And was it a decision early on to deal with loss and the impact of grief? And Ian said, it wasn't where we started from, but the initial seed was trying to explore what it was to experience the sublime, which is simultaneously beautiful and unsettling. That's the little seed that everything grew out of. We started off making prototypes of spaces or experiences that felt like they would evoke those feelings. Personally, for me, growing up in Washington State, one of the key memories I had was being at the bottom of the ocean and looking at the ground as it sloped away into infinite darkness, and just feeling small and fragile but in awe of how beautiful everything was and just feeling connected to that. We started making a scuba diving simulator, which was the initial version of this game. I think we quickly realized that that was interesting for about 10 minutes or so, but knew it couldn't be a full game. So we started looking at other references and works of art that had explored similar kinds of feelings and came across weird fiction. Authors like H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, and Neil Gaiman, they were a wide range of writers who were all concerned with a universe far bigger than you could possibly imagine. So that's the quote for me in Dallas on it. And while that doesn't really specifically say a genre, I think it, I mean, goes a long way towards describing the feel of the game. And I think at least the reference to Lovecraft and the reference to Neil Gaiman at least really rang out for me, especially thinking about Coraline and then thinking about just looking at stuff that's a little bit more directly H.P. Lovecraft influenced that we've talked about previously, like The Lighthouse and kind of Mitchie talking about gothic horror in that vein. So I don't know. I guess, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I, I think it's interesting that he referenced three horror writers because, I, I mean, as you know, I don't think it's horror. So I think that's really interesting information. It kind of puts a different lens on it, I guess. I think a lot of the storyline really does follow the classic tropes of a gothic horror novel. Like if we think about like even just the short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, and like, you know, how I consider that horror, I think that there's a lot of elements in terms of, I mean, obviously the video game deals with mental illness, family secrets, trauma. It's some pretty heavy hitting stuff. I'm not surprised that he referenced horror writers at all. I think that's great. I think when you look at it from 
the perspective of the grandma Edith, Edie, the great grandma. Yeah. It definitely does take on a kind of a psychological gothic horror tone because they present her as this almost insane person who has put all these weird spins on the deaths of her family members. And it, it kind of, there's this underlying question like, is is this person crazy or are they just coping? Yeah, talking about her husband being killed by a dragon and stuff. Well, because I think a lot of the dark fairy tales that we tell, because I mean, that's what she told her kids and her grandkids and anyone who asked. I think that the stories we tell people in order to cope have a lot to do with the dark fairy tale element and how we it's an easy way to explain things. I just think that's how scary stories get started. They're always sort of rooted in truth. I also think there's kind of some implication by the ending of the game that maybe there is some sort of supernatural power at work. Uh, if we want to go back to talking about supernatural or not supernatural and how that contributes to horror. Spoilers, that there's maybe some implication that the things that are written in the journal are coming to pass in real life. But maybe that's more of a, I hate that you're doing that thing, chronicling it. It's it's definitely left up to the imagination. It kind of reminds me of the conversation we had when we talked about Coraline, where we were asking whether we believed that the things that were happening to Coraline were really happening to her, or if they were in her imagination. Um, because all of the deaths in this game are are kind of gruesome in a way. But we can look at it realistically and say, okay, Molly didn't actually get eaten by a sea monster. <laughs> that was a cover-up for something much more tethered to real life. But we're going to cover it with this romanticization because that makes for a better story to pass down. Okay, but as a person who does not play video games, I gotta tell you that slithering along the floor and snatching human beings was the best part ever. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I could do that for hours on end, just that. Like, please, someone just design a game where I can do that. I felt so evil. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, that was a pretty cool part of it. I enjoyed that, too. So I guess in terms of, since we're we're talking about that side of it, I think that you can view whether or not there's a family curse and anything supernatural at play can translate to either something that's actually going on in this world or you can translate it to generational trauma. So I guess, how do each of you read that? Do you think that the supernatural elements that are alluded to here, for instance, the family curse or, you know, the, the one child being eaten by a monster, do you think that those things are real or do you think that's generational trauma that's you've got younger generations hearing those stories, accepting it, and kind of deciding for themselves that those things are real, even though they're not. I guess for me, I I tend to lean towards it's probably generational trauma. Like, I don't, I don't feel like there was enough solid parts to say that there definitely is some supernatural going on. And there could be, and it's left a little vague. But I think a lot of stuff is like this is a family of people, many of whom are highly imaginative and creative. Look at Molly's story and her 
imagining herself becoming a cat, then an owl, then a shark, then a sea monster, and all these things. And same thing with the one brother, let's see, uh, Lewis, who worked at the, like, the fish place. And, you know, his whole, yes, the cannery, thank you. Um, And he just, like, spent all of his days just, like, imagining this world. And it's, I, I guess for me, it feels like it's just a highly imaginative family, family, and it tends to lean towards dark imagination. I, I definitely feel like some of the stories were more grounded in reality and some of them were more, but it also depends on who's telling the story. Like the initial girl where she turns into a cat, it almost seems to me like a, a form of escapism. Like maybe she was chronically ill and always thinking about being something else being somebody else being somewhere else kind of a thing each of the stories kind of deal with ways that we deal with death and ways that we deal with isolation and loneliness so um, definitely kind of uh, rung true with me that some of them are just sort of based in the imaginings of a human person that's dealing with trauma I think that's how I tended to see it, too, is that there weren't any supernatural elements. There isn't a family curse. This is just a group of a family that's that's clearly very creatively minded, very intelligent and uh, maybe open a bit to that suggestion. I don't know that idea. And uh, that's kind of more where it's coming from, this idea of, hey, we're cursed. We have these events that even coming over here, you know, we got so close to shore and then didn't make it with the old house and stuff like that. And then deciding that that's the issue. And then furthermore, almost building a monument towards that concept that they have curse or bad luck by putting a graveyard in first before even starting the new house. So I guess I tend to look at it. It's them being more influenced that by that than there actually being any supernatural elements. I think that whole they built the graveyard first is a really big like this is where the mindset of these people are. It's kind of already centered around death. So with that in mind, it sounds like forgive me if I'm forgetting anyone's answer on that, but it sounds like most of us are leaning towards is probably more the generational trauma than an actual thing. But uh, whether that's the case or not. How did that affect how you viewed this as horror or not? Would it change things if it was confirmed? Yes, there's definitely a supernatural element. There's an unknowable horror out there. There was a monster that actually took one of the children. Or versus this is all just normal human tragedy sort of thing. I think for me, if there was confirmed that there was a supernatural element to it, it would absolutely clinch it as horror. Um, we'll talk about the ending of the game when the time comes, because we all know how I feel about that. But I think that the themes that are dealt with here in terms of untimely death, um, a possible family curse, a spooky old house uh, where everybody died, that's, you know, quite frankly, whether literally or figuratively, it's haunted by by all these folks. I don't know. I'm I'm leaning towards horror now. <laughs> Damn it. I I do tend to think that there is a supernatural element that is meant to be implied in the game more than just people dying of normal things. 
how does that make you does that make you lean more towards horror or less from it because of that i guess i still don't necessarily think that it is horror but like i said there are like for example the especially like the the girl that was like a child star in her scream i think that little vignette is definitely a horror story 100% and like even some of the other ones are horror in maybe like a psychological way i don't know but but yeah like when you were talking about like lovecraftian horror or gothic horror i think that it definitely could fit into that category more than like a traditional horror film kind of feeling so i i still stick with there are certain stories in it that are more horror than others so on the like barbara the child star story i think a thing that maybe like exemplifies this more than anything is in her story because you know edith even says like i don't know why i think grandma edie uh decided to keep this kind of gruesome comic book to remember barbara by but i think that just the the idea that she that is the way she chose to kind of remember barbara is to have this comic book that's been highly sensationalized and like dramatized um, into this kind of, you know, gruesome little horror comic is maybe, maybe speaks to what we were talking about earlier of just like, these are imaginative people, um, creative people. And like, I don't know, that's kind of how they choose to view some of these events, I guess, whether or not they happened or, uh, you know, were as, I don't know, as whether they, you know, were as, how I don't know. Sorry, I don't know what the word I am looking for is, but yeah. <laughs> well, and I think something that I can definitely relate to is the idea of a, I don't know, I guess without going into a whole lot of personal detail on this, I can at least relate to having a relative who has this really solid and unfortunately negative worldview and you're growing up around them and they're presenting the world to you through that worldview and it's easy to to not realize you're filtering things through this negative worldview like i had some other relatives who i thought of negatively for a long time until i you know grew up and realized no there's there's nothing wrong with these folks it's just that i've got this other relative who's sitting there and saying like these people are are bad for one reason or another and then you know you get away from it and realize that it's not that way so i can kind of see how that filters down especially again just going back to the whole generational trauma thing like if you've got a respected member of the family matriarch of the family patriarch of the family kind of telling you that these this is the way it is. We're cursed. We've got these things. It's just, that's very affecting. It's hard to get away from it. It's hard to not let it color the way you see things. And it might take a while to get there, especially when you look at the deaths of many of these family members in this are, they're very young when it happens and you get their personal accounts while, you know, before their death or their accounts, uh, after their death from other people that believe that. And I guess it, it would be hard to get out of that. I guess that's why I have more of a tendency to look at this and say, I don't know. I think the supernatural elements are there as, as flavoring, but ultimately it's maybe just to uh, put some salt on top of a 
what might feel to some people like a bland exploration of of grief and dealing with loss. And I don't think that this is bland, but maybe it's just a way of presenting it to people that might not otherwise have played it, which I guess, I don't know, not to rehash, but is I guess why I again saw it as more of a, probably it's generational trauma rather than a real thing. I think if they'd said outright, yeah, there's a monster here that really exists that's doing these things, then that would have more easily put it in the horror category for me. But with that left ambiguous and up to the the player to decide, that's, I think, ultimately what put me in the category of saying, no, it's not. It's just people going through withdrawal and seeing things they've kind of been programmed to see. I think another thing that makes this um, game so dark, um, still not horror for me, but pretty dark, is that those stories, like Joe mentioned, like, uh, what was her name? Barbara's story um, being kept around kind of shows us how commonplace death has become in this family to the point that they're romanticizing the deaths of their family members. But the fact that there are so many deaths that it just doesn't seem sad anymore, almost, to this family. And and my mind goes to the the scene of the infant in the bathtub. How, I mean, the concept of losing a child in a bathtub is extremely, extremely dark. But that scene is so fun and playful. So I think kind of that juxtaposition... And that goes with several other scenes in in the game, too. I think that kind of makes it more gothic horror, if we're going to lean that way. I agree, because the bathtub uh, challenge that you had to complete was super duper cute. But you have to keep in mind that you're drowning a child. <laughs> like, that's the game, is to drown the child. That's really dark. Like, that's yeah. some Edward Gorey shit right there. Just It's just cute. <laughs> yeah. I read at least part of an interview where uh, I think I said his name was Ian Dallas. Um, he was talking about that part and how it went through a lot of different iterations to try and get it right. Cause they wanted, they didn't want it to end on the dark note. At least one iteration of it had an ending after the bathtub water fills and leaving it at that, uh, which I think would have felt a lot darker. Right. Cause, cause that's all it is, but that they tried to, I don't know, let you know what's happening, but maybe not feel it as intensely. I don't know. As a parent myself, uh, I, I honestly, the first time I, I played this game, I played it on stream and I had to stop and I, and I shed tears over it because it was very tragic to me. And I immediately knew what was going on and the blow was not softened at all. <laughs> That's fair. I'm sure it's got to hit much different for you as a parent. Yeah, they did it. I feel like they didn't hold back on that one that one was like very hard to deal with which story do you feel like lended it most towards the horror genre or and aside from that as well which one was your favorite i don't think i can choose one i i was so excited to see this is terrible i was so excited well but it's me so you're not gonna be surprised I was really stoked for people to die. I was looking forward to each and every character's story. The game was so well done. I think this might be one of the best storytellings in, in a video game that I've personally ever seen. 
I don't know. I was I was really just into it the second that we dropped into Molly's storyline. I thought that, you know, the going through her going through her mind, whatever was happening, whether it was, you know, hallucinations from eating too many things that she shouldn't have, or if there was an existing condition, or if perhaps she was a victim of childhood abuse and this is how she was coping. That was just awesome. I think maybe that was my favorite. Which one do you feel like leaned the most towards horror for you? Was it also Molly's? <sighs> um, that one or or the the bathtub. I th- I think whenever you involve like the death or demise of a child, I think that hits home more. So yeah, maybe the bathtub was the most horror for me. But then you've got the guy living under the house for like sixty years, and like, I don't know. I really think this is horror, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, no reason to be sorry. <laughs> How about for everybody else? What uh, what section was your favorite? Which one felt the most like horror? I personally had... Uh, they're all so, so good, but I really like the story and game design of the older brother who works in the fish factory. For one, the story is just... just really, like, hits home and... It was so sad and tragic, but also beautiful. And just from a game design perspective, it was so cool the way that you're controlling this one aspect of things while you're doing this other thing. Uh, But they're not separate, they're intertwined, because when you're doing the action of cutting the fish, it's actually progressing you in this other kind of like side-scroller walking game that you're playing. So you're playing like two games at once, and... The the game where you're side-scrolling gets more, gets bigger. It fills up more of the screen as you go because he's losing that sense of reality and sense of self as you're going through the story. And I just think it's so beautiful and so beautifully done. Probably, they're all so great, but that's probably the best one for me. Uh, and then I do think that Barbara's story is the most horror of the stories. But horror elements to all of them, uh, the the Kraken kind of with the tentacle and Molly's story. Sorry, I'm struggling to remember all the names of everybody. Um, but that part is kind of, you know, scary in a way. Even the living and the one guy who was living in the bunker underneath the house for his whole life uh, until he kind of got up the cur- got up the courage to to leave because everything was frightening to him but there was like banging on the door and he's talking about how he was dealing with the banging on the door so I think that that has some horror elements but definitely Barbara's was the most horror and Fish Guy was my favorite story sorry Fish Guy I should remember your name <laughs> Lewis 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 yes <laughs> yeah Lewis's, uh, Lewis's story I think because um, I'm constantly disassociating like 24-7 that's exactly what it feels like what you described Mac like just the story in your head somehow gets bigger and takes over, but everything is still happening at the same time. That was so good. I think it did a really good job too of uh, you feel the monotony of his task because you, your action of cutting the fish's heads off and then sliding them on the conveyor belt, it does slide into the background for you as you're playing. You're just focused on getting him through the kingdom side of it. And you're just doing this, you know, repetitious task in the background, you sort of forget you're doing it while you're doing it. 
Yeah, it's absolutely brilliantly designed. I can't say enough about that section of the game. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that because it was a great description of it, but I would agree that was my favorite section, and I agree it was very well designed. That was also my favorite. Um, I talked in a couple episodes ago about maladaptive daydreaming and how it's something I've been doing since I was a wee lass, so I can relate very much to Lewis disassociating and the depression you feel when you come back to reality and realize you're in a bloody uh, fish cannery. Maybe I can't relate to that part, but you know what I'm saying. The uh, the <laughs> sinking feeling of being back in the real world. And that can go for, that doesn't have to just go for daydreaming. That could go for finishing a movie, finishing a game, finishing a book. Any sort of escapism, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I get that hardcore whenever, feeling, whenever finishing a book series. Yeah. Now back to your original question, I think the most horror... Um, the most horror scene for me was Molly's right at the beginning because I already felt bad enough killing rabbits and then I had to kill people. I felt and I think I think that with Molly's like childish narration makes it really creepy. Yeah, because she was talking about how, yeah, I tore its flipper off and it tasted good. I was like, this kid is metal. I was in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then her description too of like, you know, you're you're slithering the tentacle in, you realize it's under her bed, and then her talking about that it was waiting there for you waiting there for her, and then uh no resolution on exactly how she passed away. So unless unless it was there and I don't remember it, but uh that was the part that felt the most like horror to me. Oddly enough, the part that felt the least like horror to me was Barbara's story with the Halloween music and, and the EC comic style. That just felt more like, uh, I, because I guess I'm maybe so <laughs> experienced enough of the stuff that they were referencing, it felt the least like horror to me, weirdly. I, I know that's strange. I have a hard time articulating why exactly. I'm going to disown you. You better articulate it. Tell me why, because <laughs> I thought that was absolutely, and of course it was campy, but I think that the whole um, the whole cartoony comic spin that they put on Barbara's story is because Barbara was probably sexually assaulted and murdered in that house because they just didn't they describe over the radio that like there was a some sort of gang of something or other or did I miss that part and make that up completely no I think that you're right I think they just kept it vague if anyone else remembers more details feel free to chime in oh they definitely talked about a gang in the neighborhood that was doing crazy things yeah, I'm pretty sure that what actually happened to Barbara is they broke in and they wound up killing her because the end of the comic book was they're like, when she, when she found out what they wanted, she screamed. Like, that was so yeah. chilling to me. I'm like, yep, she going to get murdered. But then the comic itself was just an interpretation of what might have happened to her because ultimately, as I recall, right, it, they said that they don't actually know what happened to her, right? Right, they only found her ear. They said they blamed it on the boyfriend. Oh yeah, that's right. They did blame it on the boyfriend. So she just disappeared? Like, that's that's the for realsies story? They don't know what happened? They found her ear. <laughs> right. I don't know if that was part of the comic, just, you know, a thing about the comic book, or if that was actually what happened, but they found the, like, severed ear. Um, but 
I think the reason why it felt the least like horror to me, if I had to kind of try and put words to it, is that it's um, the rest of the game. I, I know this seems like a weird kind of way to say it, but it felt more rooted in human tragedy for everything. That's not a weird way to say it, but what's coming next, I guess it felt more rooted in human tragedy. So there's a realism that I think most of the game had to those experiences, even Lewis's experience. Cause even the way that's portrayed, I felt like that had a real a realism to it because emotionally, as we all talked about, we can all kind of relate to that. But uh, I think taking her experience and then filtering it in sort of a, in sort of a cheesy way through having, I don't know, just the, the comic style, the way that they did it in this game, and then specifically using Halloween's music. So not some other tension, but like Halloween's intro music, I guess gave it another degree of separation for me. So it was easier to detach from it and just kind of feel like this is almost, I know what they're trying to get at and that this is something that's real, but it feels more jokey than real. So it was a little harder for me to, I guess, engage with it emotionally, which made it feel less like horror. I, I guess maybe at the core, that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. I was still scared to go down the basement steps as like the playing character that creeped me out. Cheesy Halloween music or no. Am I the only one that felt that way about it? Feel free to like share. I see where you're coming from with it, but I also feel like maybe the reason that you weren't taking it as horror more is just because that's like so familiar to you and it was such a mock style of classic horror, like even more mocky than like say Scream, if you want to talk about that sort of genre of horror poking fun at itself. It was almost like a funny kind of scream movie in a way, like parodying, par parodying, I can't, I don't know how to say parodying, 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 uh, Halloween like in a in a much more funny way. So I get where you're coming from, but I kind of saw it more as like still horror for me. It was horror light. I just really love that the, the comic was an homage to Creepshow, like 100%. Was it not? Wait, is that the right movie? Did I just quote the wrong movie? Yes. Yes and no. Um, it's So it's a homage to EC Comics, which was a publisher that existed years, years ago. Um, I, I will get the dates exactly wrong. But anyway, they were kind of doing more horror stuff, and they were kind of part of the whole... A brief history lesson, I guess. Um, so there's this whole thing that happened in comics where there was a lot of different genres. They, comics as a genre is basically kind of created in the 20s. And there were a lot more genres that existed, and they were mostly being sold to kids at the time. That's who they were geared towards. And so one of that, those publishers was DC Comics, and they tended to specialize in horror. And so, But they'd also do social commentary comics. And so... There was this psychologist, Frederick Wilhelm, who created this book called Seduction of the Innocent, and he used it to try and say how, you know, it's it's the standard sort of thing that happens all the time. We talked about it in the Evil Dead episode. Basically, this stuff is corrupting our youth. We need to regulate it. 
And so there was a lot of congressional hearings and they're like, what's going on with comics? We need to regulate this stuff. So it's not corrupting our kids. Uh, they were basically told at that point, the comics industry as a whole, you regulate yourself or we're going to. So then they decided, well, we'll come up with a comics code authority and uh, whatever doesn't pass that can't be printed. And after that point, it became a lot easier for there to just be superhero comics because they were easier to get past the code. So that's a lot of what whittled down the comics industry into Marvel and DC being the big ones doing superhero stuff. Uh, a lot of EC comic stuff wasn't wasn't going to make it past that. But uh, so a lot of those writers and directors that we care about, Stephen King and uh, George Romero particularly, and I'll bring up why I'm mentioning them, they grew up on those EC comics, really liking those and enjoying those. So years later, when Romero and King wanted to work together on something, they chose to do Creepshow, and Creepshow itself was an homage to those EC comics that they grew up with. So it does feel like Creepshow because Creepshow feels like EC comics. This is Nerd Inception. I love it. How how did I not know about this? I I am amazed. <laughs> comics is my thing what can i say <laughs> <laughs> so i don't want to get away from talking about the game specifically but i did want to talk a little bit in general since this is our first time talking about a video game how did being in the driver's seat change this experience now brianna you had said before the show that you had watched this before actually playing it Mm-hmm. And for those of you that did both, if any of you did, how, how did that change things? Would this have felt, would you have said that this is definitely horror if you had just watched it versus played it? How does that make the difference being in the driver's seat? It totally did make the difference for me. Just watching the playthrough, I was like, okay, it's got some spooky elements. There's some spooky themes, but I don't think this is horror. And it wasn't until I actually, you know, picked up a controller and had to make a choice because in the playthrough that I watched it was excellent um and I think they got through it in about like an hour and a half um it covered most of the ground that you can cover but there's just a big difference in in having that element of choose your own adventure I didn't realize how many things you were controlling to get through the game like I didn't know you had to roll the shark down the hill like come on it just it never occurred to me and I think that having the interactive portion of it, being able to make choices and feeling like you're actually in the scene is what made the difference for me. I think everyone else said that they did play it rather than watch it. But how does how does that affect it for you guys as well? Being in the driver's seat versus watching if you had to have watched it. I guess I think it does... It, it makes it matter, or not matter a little bit more, but it's just a lot more interactive if you're the one in the driver's seat. Just kind of trying to think about the difference between, you know, watching a horror movie or a scary movie to playing a, a scary video game. Like, I get a lot more, I get a lot more jumpy when I'm the one who has to jump and the one who has to try and run away from something if I have to run away from something where I can, I guess, detach myself a little bit more when it's just a movie. Yeah, I I definitely think putting yourself in the driver's seat of the game makes it more horrific. I know 
from my experience growing up, I used to watch my brother play a lot of horror games, and I would enjoy that, but I wouldn't want to play them myself. So, like, watching them and watching him react, I could enjoy the horror without putting myself in the shoes of the character. So, yeah, putting yourself in the shoes of the character definitely makes it uh, makes it more horror to me. Also, side note, did anyone else get major anxiety swinging that kid off the cliff? Is anyone else scared of heights? That scared the crap out of me. Like, I literally got heart palpitations doing that. Yeah. That didn't affect me so much, but the reason why is I... I So I have a Steam Deck, and I ended up... I just barely got that, and I was kind of like, what game am I gonna what game am I gonna play on this? So of course I was gonna do this one because we were gonna be talking about it. So I played it kind of on a smaller screen in the handheld situation. So I think that probably didn't help it to feel more like horror because uh, it's not quite as immersive. I mean, I still really enjoyed the game; it was great, but I think it probably would have been more immersive if I was playing it on a bigger screen. I'm going to second that because I do have a rather large screen on the television that I played and watched it on, and I agree with what you said. That does make a world of difference. I agree with what everyone said. I do think playing the game and being in charge of all these people's deaths is definitely more anxiety-inducing than maybe watching it. What kind of different hurdles are, Joe, sorry if you had something you wanted to chime in with? Uh, it was a slight side note, so um, sorry about that. But I guess I was just thinking, and like, I don't know. There's a lot of like hard-hitting things and feelings in, on, in a lot of these stories, but there was there's a couple of them, a handful of them. The swing one was one, and the the dad who gets knocked off the cliff by the deer, and uh, oh, there was another one. Well, I guess Walter, the old guy, who gets hit by the train. There was a bunch of those that I was like, these are like super duper preventable deaths. Like I had to like dumb ways to die going in my head on a few of these. Like, why would you put a swing next to a cliff <laughs> ever? Like, For the view. And why, would, and why would you like go and stand on a cliff to try and take a picture with a deer? Why would you walk on a railroad track with while staring at the sun like i don't know anyways so that was a total side note speaking of preve- preventable deaths i just googled um why did molly finch die because i wanted to know why she actually died other than being eaten apparently um holly berries are poisonous and she was eating those holly berries because she went to bed ah. without dinner that's the theory that's the theory of why she died also, don't send your kid to bed without dinner. That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't get that. It's like we're all sitting there like basic human needs or, you know, clothing, food, and shelter, but I'm going to punish my child by denying those. Could you imagine punishing your child by being like, you're going to have to sleep outside in a sleeping bag tonight because of what you did to me? You would not do that because that's stupid. Sorry if anyone listening has ever had that. I hate to tell you, but you were abused. Anyway, that having been said, <laughs> don't <laughs> send your kid to bed without <laughs> food. Yeah, your, your kid should never... It, yeah, don't don't punish your child by sending them to bed hungry. <laughs> anyway, that having been said, I'm sure there's always like reasons that things happen and you don't think about it and people make mistakes. It's just, I don't know, it doesn't sound like a good thing anyway. I don't mean to be judgmental. I sure I do. do. 
Obviously, when it <laughs> happens, your child will become a tentacle monster, and nobody wants that. And then you'll get eaten. Right. It's your own damn fault. Just saying. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to see, I guess, I wanted to hear if you felt like there were different hurdles that a video game has to cross in order to be a horror versus a movie. And uh, what are some of the things that you think are, are different? What are some of the things you think are the same? I know it's quite broad. So I'll speak up because I've played a lot of horror games and I would say that it, there isn't much of a difference the way that video video games and movies uh, present themselves as horror in my experience. Um, some of the most notable horror games that I've talked about, for example, Resident Evil, Resident Evil Seven. To me, it was it gave me a lot of the same feelings as watching like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that. So I don't really think that there's too much of a difference. Just maybe even games have a, have it a little bit easier presenting horror because they can literally put you into the shoes of the character. Um, so yeah, that's my take. I agree with that. I'll elaborate in a moment. I, I agree with that idea too. And along those lines, I think horror games can feel almost easily, more easily like horror than, um, than videos or movies for that reason, because you're in control of it. Some horror horror games that end up not feeling like horror to me are the ones that like you have to run and do all these things, but then it gets to an intense moment and it goes to a cutscene, and you then are watching the character go through this intense moment, which uh, you know then it's not horror to me anymore because it's uh, or not as much, I guess. So yeah, I th I think horror games can have an, a lower bar to jump sometimes at least so if they go to the cut scene basically it stops feeling like it's something that's happening to you yeah it goes back into being a a movie and you know and like the the best horror games to me are the ones that like you know, something happens that I wasn't expecting and I have to be the one to like get my character the hell out of there or you know or i have to do something to prevent getting stabbed in the face by an alien or you know something like that has anyone here played the game gone home not me nope so gone home um this game is kind of more what i was expecting when i played gone home Gone Home, it's it's available on a lot of platforms, so it should be pretty easy to find. If you liked this one, I, I think that you'd enjoy that one too, but it's kind of a different sort of scenario. I think it was sold to me as it's kind of a horror game, but I think at the end of the day, Gone Home, really what it ended up being is just kind of a mystery. So you're walking through a house, you're going back to your home, and no one's at home, and you're trying to figure out why. And so you're walking around and you're reading accounts and slowly through reading those accounts, you find out that there's, you know, something benign, even positive, actually, that resulted in the reason that no one's there. But I didn't know that going into it. So I was expecting some sort of malevolent force to be chasing me, something I was going to have to run and hide from. And then you don't have any way to fight back. And so I guess just going back to the idea of uh, 
what's been said about I think that the bar is a little bit lower for what feels like horror in a video game because you you have some skin in the game right you're there's some element of jeopardy there to you at least you feel that there is whether there is or isn't so if you play a game where there's no people around and there's nothing around and there's some dark areas and you think something might get you something might kill you then you have to kind of you sort of internalize that and you bring that into it even though there isn't actually anything that's going to get you or kill you or anything so i feel like gone home is a good example of a game that ended up feeling like horror even though it 100 percent wasn't because i simply had the suggestion ahead of time that it was going to be and i think that if it had been a movie and it presented much the same way that I wouldn't have felt during the experience at all that it was horror. So I think that it's maybe easier for something like this to feel that way. I think there's segments that lend themselves more towards horror than others in What Remains of Edith Finch, but if uh, if you were watching it, I don't know if it would hit the same uh, because of that. Yeah, I agree with all of that. It makes sense to me. I had a lot of randomly sort of questions that I wrote down, but um, I'm not sure if they necessarily all apply or if we hadn't we've talked about some of them. So I guess, are there anything that you guys would want to make sure we discuss? Any points that people want to bring up about their experience with all of this? We kind of already covered all this, so sorry if I'm retreading some of the same ground but one thing i was thinking about as far as like is there a supernatural element or is it just you know sensationalized and generational trauma and that kind of thing and the thing i was kind of thinking about is like i don't remember where this is from so maybe one of you will but it's just the uh, like we've all got dead people and i think for me you know sometimes the like dead people in my life like you want to like their actual deaths are they're they're just the way that a person died like and it is not necessarily special or interesting or anything like that but it it's a bigger deal to you on a personal level and it, it means a lot and you want it to mean a lot and it does but i think that's the thing that's really interesting about this game is that it just uh, I guess that's why I lean towards it there isn't a supernatural element to that this is just a family who's dealt with a lot of death and is trying to kind of write it down and put it in a you know put it in various forms of like these you know interesting elaborate stories you know Calvin fell off a cliff while he was on a swing, but uh, his brother chose to remember him as like somebody who decided that he didn't want to be afraid anymore and learned to fly and all these things. And like, you know, he knows that his brother just fell off a cliff, but uh, he'd rather remember it as a more meaningful thing, I guess, a more meaningful it's like what it, he was feeling about it rather than what actually happened. So anyways, I guess that's one of the reasons I ended up really liking the game. So yeah, anyways. I would add that 
kind of the reason that I feel like the game isn't horror overall is because, and one of the, there's several reasons, but one of the things that I think makes it not horror is that the game is very much about accepting death and understanding it and viewing it as what it is, a kind of a natural thing and accepting it. And so I kind of think that that's veers away from the realms of horror in general sometimes because I think a lot of times in horror, death is presented as something scary, something to be avoided. Whereas I feel like in What Remains of Edith Finch, death as a topic is just kind of by viewing all these people's deaths and seeing the way that they died, it's kind of leading you towards accepting it and feeling the naturalness of it and celebrating the beauty of the lives that the people have lived rather than being scared of their inevitable death. And it's Edith's kind of journey and finding out what happened and accepting her own inevitable mortality. So that kind of takes it out of the horror realm to me and just leaves it more into like, I don't know what the genre would be, but it's more just an introspective thing. It's not made, you're not supposed to feel scared. The game's helping, and I mean, at times you are, but the game is helping you to not be scared of death. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Most horror has death in it. Most horror isn't actually dealing with death. And yeah, I I agree in a way that this is trying to help you in coping with those things as opposed to using it as spectacle. So I think that definitely makes it feel a lot different. And I think it's kind of echoes a little bit of what we talked about in Pan's Labyrinth and having war movies that are dealing with an actual war. And those it's harder sometimes for those to feel like horror because you're dealing with a real atrocity, something that actually happened to someone, someone actually experienced. And I think that's kind of the thing that I'm dealing with on this one, too, is that this is the sort of everyday tragedy that actually befalls people. Um, I mean, some of them more fantastical than others, but so it feels too real and too grounded in the reality of coping with the loss of loved ones to feel like horror to me. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of death in a spooky house and I got to be a tentacle monster and eat shit. I think it's horror. (laughs) (laughs) And that is valid. Thank you. I feel seen. Well, and I think um, we did want to, I guess, Brianna, you'd mentioned the ending earlier and maybe wanted to have a couple comments about that. So, you know, we end with finding out that this whole story is is another story, right? That it's being told to Edith's child who is, is there at her grave. And, you know, her child is, is obviously alive, at least at that point to hear it. So does that, did that influence the way the game felt there at the end? I mean, the ending had too many feels for it to be horror. You know how I feel about feelings and horror. But, I mean, the sequel could have been that her son moves into the house and starts the whole thing again and just goes absolutely 
crazy and, you know, turns into a shark. I don't know. I'm just, I can hope, okay? I'm just interested in Tentacle Monster 2. That's all. Three tentacling. Yes! I guess I'll just other say the other comment I had on it is kind of, I think that the beauty of the game, at least for me in a way, is uh, it's, it's everything that you were talking about, Joe, is how you remember people. Because there's that saying, and I think that there's something to it, right? Is, uh, well, I just I think that we're all kind of searching for for meaning in this life, and we find it in various places, and and in the same way, meaning in death, and hoping that at least someone's passing that it meant something. And I think that uh, there's that saying that you know you die twice when your physical body actually dies, and the last time somebody mentions your name, and by keeping these stories by writing them down and passing them on at least it's the sort of fictitious but beautiful example of a way to make sure that those people that have passed in our lives aren't truly gone so long as we're continuing to remember them continuing to to say their name to tell their stories and hopefully not just reduce them down to the way that they died but the life that they lived which i think i don't know that's that to me is the real beauty of this game Agree. I agree. And I think this game does a good job of like, it's like telling this story of how these people died, but those stories are kind of a condensed version of who the person was. Um, and some, and the things, some of the things that matter to them. And that, I, I don't know, find that interesting, I guess. One of the stories that I wanted to touch on a little bit more while we're talking about it is I believe it's Walter who was in the bunker. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, Walter. Okay, so I really, uh, I liked Walter's story a lot because he experienced, you know, the death of his brother, I want to say. It was uh, his sister, uh, Barbara. He oh he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was there when Barbara died. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I get them all mixed up. Um, and I've played this probably more than any of you, which sucks. <laughs> Shows how bad my memory is. Anyhow, his story <laughs> was was so interesting to me because it was he had this he he died. What well, well, he he was hiding when Barbara died, and then he was hiding the rest of his life because he couldn't face death and couldn't face the loss of her. And then he was isolating himself and he was feeling lonely, probably feeling lonely without his sister because he was like always her shadow kind of a thing. And then him realizing that he shouldn't have, he shouldn't feel that way and that he should go out and live his life and, but then, you know, they're like it says that he died of jumping into the ocean, but he gets like hit by a train when he comes out of that thing in the story. So I don't know where that story, where that thing is where he's just jumping into the ocean because I didn't take his death as a suicide. Did you guys? No, I no. didn't at all. No. Yeah, I'm reading a site, uh, the, like the IMDb for the game, and it says he jumped into the ocean. But I think he was coming out ready to live his life, and then got hit by a train. <laughs> if that is not a metaphor for my whole life, I don't know what is. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> well, his whole his whole end monologue was like, I you know want to get out there and live my life, whether it's only going to be a month or a week or whatever. And then he gets hit by a train. But he does like get that last moment of like the beautiful forest and the sun and all that. Yeah, he's, yeah. I I feel the sun on my face, but it's just train lights. Yeah, <laughs> like that whole his story is like so relatable because it's just about hiding from the things that we have to deal with and then finally overcoming that and you know excluding the part about the train hitting you at the end when you overcome that <laughs> but um that one really i think says a lot and kind of encapsulates a lot of the meaning of the game so i like that part i guess the thing that comes to mind with all that is the just the phrase or quote like it's later than you think which i've been thinking a lot about lately it's like you know, Walter was waiting around and hiding and he's like, well, I'm going to get out there and just live as much as my life as I can. And, you know, that's the end of his life. And, you know, we never know exactly how much time we're going to have left. So it's later than you think, like live your life now. Just a thing I've thought about in relation to some of that. It's a good takeaway for sure. Because you never know. Um, another random kind of spoiler trivia that they have here. I'm just looking at a list, but another one that says every parent in the Finch family outlives at least one of their children, except Edith. In fact, only one sibling of each generation lives long enough to have children of their own. So that's pretty tragic in itself. All that. Mm, Yeah. Do we think that maybe the quote-unquote curse, um, whether it's real or whether it's figurative, do we think that that's broken by the fact that uh, young Edith is not there to raise her child? Has her child, I think his name is Christopher, maybe? Do we think that he has escaped, you know, the carrying on of the generational trauma and the, the coping methods and all that stuff? See, I kind of am feeling like we like we don't get that because of the whole significance of the journal writing and Edith's grandma having written a journal. I kind of feel like we haven't broken this curse. I don't know. I feel like the parent is always trapping the child in these narratives somehow. Like the, the grandmother Edie, it seems to be in control of everyone else who's left. I mean, she and Dawn have several go-rounds and Dawn says, oh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to take little Edith and we're going to start a new life. And I don't know. I thought a lot about that. Like, are we ending on a happy note or is this going to be the retentacling? We don't know. I think a lot of it depends on what happened after the main story, right? Because now if I'm remembering this right, I, probably i just played it through the once so it sounds like everyone's experienced it more than i had but the focus of the story is when she's 17 and she goes to the house and i think if i remember right uh, she wasn't pregnant during that trip she got pregnant later um so if if i've got that all right uh she had quite a bit of life before having before even getting pregnant with her her child and then of course before dying so i guess the question is what did she do what did she do after that do i have that narrative part right though 
I think she was pregnant. She is pregnant during the story. Yeah. And then she she dies during childbirth. That that was my understanding. Yes. She was pregnant and died during tra- childbirth. She does mention it during the story that okay, she's pregnant. Okay. That's me missing it. Yeah, and if you ever look down in the game, you can see her pregnant belly. Oh, yeah, you're right. I remember that now. And she also has a diamond ring on her finger, uh, implying that she has loved and lost as well. How about that? (laughs) All right, then. Diamond ring on a necklace, not on her finger. And I guess, at least as far as the story goes, we know that she's getting that kind of passed down to her her son. But, uh, yeah, I suppose... I feel like there's there's not enough information to say whether or not that, you know, generational trauma is still being passed down or being dealt with. I like to think that the story is kind of her trying to deal with it and make sense of it, and maybe hopefully in doing that she... I don't know maybe her story in the way it's presented to him will make sense of it more than presented as a mystery. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the whole premise is that the family has been kind of telling these wild stories over the years and Edith is going to find out what really happened. And her journal is telling her child what really happened so that they are not mystified by this idea of a curse or these kind of tall tales about things, but rather the truth, that something that she never had in her life. Because it was her mom that was after, that was, um, well, it was her mom that was putting the peepholes on the doors, right? But it was her, it was her, her grandma that was locking yep. up the doors. Yep, Edie was the one who... I thought it was Dawn, the, uh, Edith's mother, was sealing the doors, and then Edie was like, no, we need to see this, and was drilling the peepholes in. Maybe I oh, had that backwards. you're right. No, you're right. Edie, Edie drilled the peepholes, but Dawn sealed the, sealed the doors. So I guess at least in that sense, the, the fact that she was willing to contend with each of them that she was willing to go through and i mean because just hey let me experience what happened to each of these people so i can deal with it instead of leaving it as a mystery like the i don't know that that feels like a healthy way of coping with all of it is actually confronting what happened to all of these people that's an interesting thing too like if you think about young edith walking through that house and a bunch of these rooms she's only ever been able to look through a little peephole and just get this little like snapshot of what this person is and and then hear all and then she's just hearing all the stories coming from Edie who has already been like oh my husband died a, a dragon killed him you know she's already like been shown to like being sensationalizing all these stories so I don't know. I think there's a point to that of like, okay, older Edith, when she comes through and like actually gets into these rooms and gets into what these people actually, who these people actually were. I, yeah, I don't know. I think that makes sense. And then writing that down in her journal for her child. I don't know. I feel like at least that's, 
in terms of an actual like healthy person, you know, overcoming your generational trauma means confronting what actually happened, what people actually experienced, and trying to deal with the actual emotions that you're experiencing from them. So I guess I like to think, at least in terms of a happy ending for this, that it's it was her actually confronting those things, actually contending with them. So hopefully that helps to break the cycle. I think they're talking about a sequel, so maybe we'll see what they decide they want to do with it. And if they give some kind of answer to, to honestly all the questions that are left unanswered. But I, I guess I feel like it feels healthy, at least going towards trying to address it. I don't know. Lots of people died on that property. I bet you it's haunted. Like, for realsies, there better be ghosts. Like, real ghosts. <laughs> I think we should discuss uh, names for the potential sequel. Like, what still remains of Edith Finch, perhaps? <laughs> yes, and it needs to have a little carrot, so it's a grammatical correction. Or it could be called The Remains of Edith Finch, and then she can be like a horrible banshee that's like chasing after you throughout the game, and suddenly it's like a real horror bent, <laughs> just completely gets rid of all of the emotional aspects of the first one. Well, seriously. No, we need to have the house rise from the sea. It needs to be in that house this time. We go to that house. I'm in, I'm in here for that. Let's do it. That's true, because you could go back a whole generation because you never see what's in that house. I know. Right, First of all, who floats a house to America? Yeah. A, who? How is that a good idea? I don't. I don't understand. This is. This is not. A, it's not an arc. It's another dumb way to die. Yeah, that was kind of a Darwin Award. And the funny thing is, they almost made it. I know, right? But my other potential title is "What Remains of Edith's Finch," and it could be about like a Halloween four type. Or Halloween 3 type reboot? Or is it 3 that this is a witching one? Um, <laughs> Season the Witches Halloween 3, yes. Yeah, or it's like a completely different thing. And it's just some girl named Edith who owns a finch and then a cat gets it. So, it's my <laughs> idea. Speaking of birds and cats, did anyone else spend an inordinate amount of time going through the pet cemetery and reading all the names? Because this girl did. <laughs> I one of I my favorite parts of the game was just wandering through it. You need to go back and do it. Yeah. I'm telling you. Okay, I will. Also, do that. when you're wandering through the garden in the beginning, if you go down to the water where the frogs are chirping, they will stop chirping until you go away. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I'm. I'm. This is why I don't play video games. I don't care about the objective. I'm side quest girl. I will just wander in the garden for three hours. Oh, I think uh, Joe and Matt can both tell you that I'm all about like, oh, the game wants me to go left. It's time to go right. <laughs> My example of that, like, is for me, that's like most of the Bethesda games, or at least like the Skyrim or uh, Elder Scrolls and Fallout games. Like, I have played many of those games, and they are huge open world games for any of you who don't know. And I. I have like hundreds of hours on several of those games, but I haven't, I don't think I've beaten one of them. I don't, I haven't done the main story all the way through. I don't think on any of them. Which is really surprising me because I know how much time you'd played those. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> this one time I was forced to play Stardew Valley and I was so mad about it that instead of doing what you're supposed to do, I would go to other people's houses and steal their TVs 
and put it in my house. I had like 12 televisions. <laughs> That's awesome. One other thing that I just wanted to mention on the gameplay aspect of of it is that I thought it was so cool how so many random things were actually meant for the character to do. Like sometimes there's there's like a cutscene where you're expecting something to just happen, but Edith actually has to like pull the latch herself or turn the page herself. And like in the beginning that was that was like a little bit jarring because you don't know what to do. But then yeah. when, when you're sitting you realize, there waiting for something to happen. <laughs> yeah. But then but then when you realize that you have to do that little portion of it, it kind of puts you in the moment a little bit more. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I thought I'd share um, the meta tags on this. It's a little bit different, it being a video game, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Most places didn't describe this as horror. So looking at Wikipedia's entry for it, it calls it an adventure game, IMDb, adventure, drama, mystery. The Apple App Store called it adventure. Xbox called it action adventure. Nintendo went with adventure. Uh, GOG, Adventure Narrative, First Person, Epic called it First Person and Puzzle Narration. The only places that it does get called horror were kind of probably the bigger places that ends up showing up, honestly, which is uh, the PlayStation Store calls it Adventure Horror. And then Steam's a little bit of a different animal because Steam's whole platform, if you are familiar with it on PC, allows users to define tags that help to categorize games. And they usually have, I want to say it's, uh, they, they have a handful of tags that people have picked, and those are the ones that it helps to uh, categorize it with, but it's a, a bunch of different ones, and it doesn't tell you what percentage people voted for any of these tags, or which ones are more weighted. There are a few that were horror-related, because it has atmospheric, which could be implied as horror, and then dark, and then psychological horror, horror, and Lovecraftian. And then it had a lot of non-horror tags like story-rich, walking simulator, first-person exploration, adventure, mystery, single-player, female protagonist, indie, great soundtrack, narration, short, drama, puzzle, and visual novel. So at least there are some people out there that are looking at it as horror. Um, I, I don't know who's what system this is being played most on, but I, my guess is it's probably PC more. So at least there's a high enough percentage that we're looking at this game as horror to list a bunch of the tags in that genre. So that was kind of interesting to see. I'm comfortable calling it adventure horror. There were a lot of parts of this game that reminded me, maybe not as heavily, but like I got a, it felt like layers of fear if anyone has ever played that. And that I think horror adventure fits perfectly. I approve this meta tag. <laughs> I have that game a couple times over, but I haven't played it yet. So I'm going to have to check that out because I've been meaning to for a while. It's kind of cute and kitschy, but it's fun. I Actually, I don't think I ever finished it. I probably should. Now that I have a computer that works, I probably can. Woohoo! Yay! All right. Any other closing thoughts? I had one final, like, mini rant that I uh, was going to just say. Like, so I think video games get a uh, bad rap a lot of times. 
as like they're garbage, they're going to rot your mind and that kind of thing or whatever. I don't know what people say these days, but I, I feel like they get a bad rap as not very substantive, you know, that Substantiative word. or a word like that? Uh, that works. Yeah, something like that. Anyways, the this I think is a great example of a, I don't know, I, it's no, ah, sorry, I'm getting all flustered about it because it bothers me that like video games get such a bad rap because there's so much story in video games like it's not it's not a worse story form than like movies or even books for that for that matter like i don't know i think there's a lot of value in video games as a storytelling method I agree with that 100%, and I don't even consider myself a quote-unquote video game person. This was, again, probably some of the best storytelling I've ever seen. The game was beautifully written. Everything about it was thoughtfully placed. The little tiny sidebars and side quests that you get to, to dip into are just absolutely delightful. I would recommend this game to anyone. Agreed. I think a bunch of it comes down to, as well as you just get this whole... You always have this frankly often christian contingent that pops up and says hey this media form we didn't come up with this personally uh, but our younger generations they're dealing with it and we think that we we don't understand it frankly and uh you know to quote batman begins you always fear what you don't understand right so they're sitting there like we don't understand movies so video nasties in england let's regulate this and make sure it stays out of kids hands or we don't understand these comics so let's say that they're corrupting people and we'll try and pass federal regulation about that or or we don't understand video games so let's go ahead and pass regulation on that and it's not to say that i think that like you know you ought to be handing gears a war to a four-year-old or something like that but just the point being like i think that uh there's always this the you have a new medium of entertainment and the older generation isn't familiar with it. So they assume that it must be bad and pass judgment on it. And then you get all of this sort of censorship thing that ends up happening with those things or assuming that it's not worthwhile. And then just realizing at the end of the day, it's just a medium for expressing ideas and it is whatever the person creating within that medium wants it to be. So the medium isn't inherently good or bad or, or anything. It's whatever the person who's trying to express themselves in that medium wants it to be. So I think, yeah, I, I agree. This is a good example of that. Like video games can be anything you want them to be. It's just a matter of someone with the creativity to decide to, to tell whatever message, whatever story they want to tell. Yeah. You know what it makes me think of is uh, like, so beauty, well, I mean, there's lots of examples of this, but the one that comes to mind is like Beauty and the Beast, like you've got Belle reading a book and then like Gaston with kind of older ideas coming in and saying like, how can you read this? You you know, well, and like the whole town is like, she's always, you know, got her nose in a book or, you know, whatever. And she's not, you know, they're like shaming her for that. And then you've got People nowadays, you know, parents nowadays saying, oh, those kids are wasting their lives in video games and that kind of thing. And not to say that that doesn't happen. There's plenty of like, I don't know, video game abuse out there. But to like just devalue the whole medium is frustrating. Just one additional adder to that is that there's a reason why video game movies 
typically fail and typically aren't good is because the is because Hollywood doesn't respect the genre and what they usually do is just cherry pick some characters that they think are cool from the video game and completely disregard any storytelling and just do their own thing with it. So it's kind of my take on it. <laughs> if you sit there and cherry pick, like uh, if if for some reason you didn't have to subsist on food and the only food that you were presented with was like cheese balls and you're like, all food is garbage. They just, they all taste like cheese. They're all this puffy thing. They have no health value at all whatsoever without realizing that you were looking at a single item of food and that there's numerous and diverse items of food out there. So I think that's what you just end up with is people look at a single example and assume that it's all that way. For the record, cheese balls are delicious. I would just like to they go are. on record with that. They are being unfairly attacked in this segment, and I stand the cheese balls. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. Shouldn't I should have respected cheese balls? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on our first episode where we're discussing a video game. If you enjoyed this and would like to talk, hear us talk about more video games in the future, let us know. As far as the next episode, we are going to be talking about the original Jurassic Park in honor of the new Jurassic Park movie that's coming out. And uh, hopefully you'll join us then. And thanks so much for joining us this time. I've been Steve. And I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm What Remains of Edith Finch. And I'm Mitz. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us at IsItHorror on Twitter, on Instagram at IsItHorrorPod, or you can email us at IsItHorrorPodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is it?